Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to be telling you about the murder of Liette Martinez. So pour yourselves a strong cup of fire department coffee, and let's dive in. Liette Martinez grew up in Las Cruces, New Mexico. She graduated from Mayfield High School and was known to be a really outgoing, bubbly girl. She loved art. She liked to travel. She had actually already visited Europe and Japan, and she had a great time hanging out with friends and was all around just a normal teenage girl. In 2008, she was attending New Mexico State University in Las Cruces, but actually had been accepted to an exchange program where she was going to do her, going to work on her graphic design degree at a different university. And at this university, she was living in the housing, which were apartment style. And um, she lived with, I saw both two and three roommates. Um, I'm inclined to think it was three roommates dependent on the sources I saw. As I mentioned, she was going to school there living with some roommates. On April 18th, 2008, one of Liette's roommates came home. Her name was Shasta Myers, and she was returning home from class. She went into her apartment and noticed that there were blood on the walls, and she was yelling for her roommates and not hearing anything. And so she ended up going into one of the bathrooms and actually found Liette on the floor of the bathroom. And this was around 11.40 a.m. She ran to her neighbor and they called the police. And when police arrived, they found that Liette had been murdered. She had been beaten and stabbed to death. And it was concluded that she'd been stabbed multiple times on her neck and shoulders And she actually had some burns on her hands. And what they had found was a pan, and they assumed it had been boiling water on the stove. And her assailant had picked up the water in the pan and thrown it at her. And it burnt her hands when she put them up to block it. That's awful. Something else they noticed around the apartment were some bloody handprints and fingerprints. And they also found the murder weapon right there. It was a kitchen knife, and it had even been bent and broken from the force of stabbing Liette. Well, it sounds like she fought back. She definitely did. Yeah, Yeah. which is heartbreaking, but also shows that she was a fighter. I was just going to say, I think it's awful, the overkill that we're seeing in this situation. So I'm assuming at some point you're going to tell me that they knew her or police suspect that. Well, that is what police initially suspect. Um, And like I mentioned, there was a lot of blood, so they were able to collect a lot of that for evidence. They're kind of trying to figure out what could have happened. So I buried the lead on something because I wanted to see Erica's reaction. Of course Um, she did. So the apartment she was living in um, were, like I said, apartments of the university that she was doing an exchange program for. And these apartments were of the Indiana-Purdue-Fort Wayne University housing, now known as Purdue-Fort Wayne, a school in Fort Wayne, Indiana, one that I attended in apartments that I lived in, in apartments I certainly know Erica has been in before. 
Which apartment? It was building H. I think that's one Khalees still lived in. I, I had a friend who lived in H when I went there. The reason this is baffling me, the fact that we hadn't heard of it, is just there's this seems like a pretty brutal case. So I'm assuming they were looking for some sort of answers and probably asking the public for help. And yet living as close to Fort Wayne as we, I mean, living in an area kind of near Fort Wayne, I mean, I would have expected to hear more of that, I yeah. guess. I cannot believe I had not heard about it either. I thought that was so crazy because, yeah, I mean, Northeast Indiana is pretty, pretty small area. There's not a ton of people um, and big crimes like this don't happen often. You know, it's not like your normal big city crime. Like, and not to mention IPFW is kind of like in its own little area in a sense, like especially the apartments. Um, I was I, I was kind of surprised when I started reading about it. And then that kind of leads to, well, who would have gotten in and murdered her? Um, as far as I knew, Leah had no apparent enemies. And at this point in time, residents had an electronic key card to get into their hall and apartment, which is normal. I think it was like that when I was there, which would have been 2014, 2015. And they had said, and mind you, this, um, these buildings are kind of set up in their own little community there. Um, at the time of this, there were nine of them. There might, there's more now, but nine buildings. And they kind of like circle around this little courtyard area, big courtyard area in the middle. But yeah, you had to, you had to swipe in. Um, you didn't have to register guest. They did at this point have some rules about overnight guests of opposite sex staying in different rooms, but they didn't monitor it. Uh, that's something that's pretty hard to enforce, I think. Cause yeah. It, unless there's an RA sitting out in the hallway all the time by your right. door, they're not going to know. And they did have RAs in all the buildings, multiple ones, but... Again, you're not going to, like Eric said, unless they're just sitting there watching. And to be honest, at least in my college experiences at IPFW and at Ball State, my RAs did not care. There were um, quite a few security cameras around the area, and they did pick up something. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. So something I did notice was a bunch of statements from IPFW saying that they were going to increase security patrols and review all the cameras that I'd mentioned and maybe add some RAs into the buildings. So like I mentioned, they're trying to figure out what could possibly be going on. And so they start talking to Liette's roommates to maybe get an idea if they have any idea of Liette's been, you know, hanging out with somebody that maybe is a little sketchy or was having anybody kind of, you know, make some unwarranted passes at her, that kind of thing. And... They end up speaking to one of her roommates named Tanzania. And she mentions she's not really sure of a lot that could have happened. Um, But what we do find out is that her mom, Tina Morris, had been staying in the apartments with them for a lot longer than she should have been. Oh. So they also talked to Liette's boyfriend, Brandon, who worked at the same restaurant as her. And he had mentioned he thought maybe something was off when she didn't show up for work. 
but he had no idea. And then he hears that the police were wanting to speak with him. And so he reaches out and goes to talk to them. And what he says basically is that Leah had said, you know, that Tina, the mom, had been staying there for a while. And maybe the roommates were a little unhappy that she was staying there. And that the night before Leah was murdered, Leah had come over to his house and she had said that they were watching a movie at her apartment and it was her and her in Tanzania and her mom, Tina, and that something was weird and something was uncomfortable. And apparently Tanzania had made, asked some questions and Leah made some comments. It was pretty vague, but that they had had an okay night, a good night. And, oh wait, and Brandon said that Besides that, him and Liette had a good night, and Liette left around 1 or 1.30 a.m. to go back home. And so what we end up finding out when police kind of push on Tanzania, because Tina is nowhere to be found. And Tanzania says, I, I don't know where my mom is. I haven't seen her. I haven't heard from her. And so they're pushing on her, trying to figure out what's going on. What we come to find out from her account is that that movie night hadn't been quite as normal and chill as maybe it had been made out to be. Apparently some of Liette's comments bothered Tina and she was unhappy with how Liette was commenting towards her daughter and thought maybe she was being a little rude or unfair or X, Y, and Z. So police start looking at footage, the security footage that had been picked up and they find out that from watching it, that Tina was the last person seen leaving the apartment. Um, she'd actually at one point went outside to smoke a cigarette and then went in back, went back into the apartment for about an hour and then leaves again. And she had a change of clothes on. And they do mention that she seemed agitated and impatient. And she actually took Liette's credit cards and her car and took off. It seems suspicious for her to just take all of Liette's stuff. Yeah, definitely suspicious. Definitely in conjunction with the fact that she's the last person seen leaving the apartment. There's obviously something else going on. And what they know is that they need to get a hold of her. You need to find out where she is. So they put out an APB for her. They're trying to figure out where Tina went. And I guess eventually her daughter calls her and says, hey, you need to like, turn yourself in so what happens with within a week is the police get a phone call from tina morris and she says that she had fled to indianapolis and that she would be waiting at this specific park at a park bench and so police go there um there's actually some footage or a photo of her sitting on the bench waiting for police to arrive so from accounts from tina what we find out is that she was she was upset with how she was perceiving Liette to respond to her daughter the night before. Um, she thought she was being rude or out of line or something. Um, I'm not going to give that any credit because I don't care what she said. That's no excuse for murdering somebody. I agree with that. Did she give any specifics, though, as to like what she had said? Or did she just keep saying she was just being rude? No, there's, it's super vague. Basically, what we know is that she was just unhappy with something Liette said. So the next morning, she confronts her about it. 
and they end up arguing and Tina goes for the knife and they fight over it. Tina is able to get the knife away and starts attacking her and stabbing her and then takes the pan of hot water and hits Liette with it. Okay, I just have to know this and you may not know this. Was the water already boiling and she just grabbed it and threw it at her? Or did she boil the water to then throw it at her? I assume it was already boiling. I just, because that's two different things. To grab something out of anger and throw it on somebody and to take the time to boil the water and then throw it. I think it'd be weird if she stabbed her and then paused to grab hot water and then throw it on her. (laughs) Because that'd take a while. The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. So after this happens, she changes her clothes, takes Liette's keys, and takes off in her car. She originally, she tries to claim, or they try to claim her and her team, that she's not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, So the judge ordered a psychiatric exam and they end up proving that she is sane and can stand trial. They kind of point to her actions following the murder. The fact that she was, that she took her card and her car and took off to Indy and was, and then called the police. It just, it all pointed to the fact that she knew what she was doing. She was aware of what was going on. I think we've talked about this before, but it really does depend on the situation. But I like it when that's what they're able to determine because then they can get a real sentencing. There are so many people out there that do get, they do go to trial. They are found insane and they just don't get what they truly deserve. And I think some of them don't truly deserve to actually be deemed insane. And it just is kind of, it works out in their favor for them. Well, and there's so much to unpack there too, because obviously there's like, the legal sense of sane and insane. It's crazy to think of someone who's capable of murdering a bunch of people as a sane person too, in the general scheme of things. Obviously, there's a lot more nuances to it in the eyes of like legality. But I mean, on a broader sense, I would say anybody who's capable of like aggressively, brutally murdering one or more people is in a sense insane in the sense that like, no normal person's going to just casually do that. It's a little bit different when it's like kind of like a crime of passion, like a shooting type thing. That's a lot less, that's more detached, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of wild. I No, I agree. So something I did want to talk about with this case, because I thought it was interesting. There's an article on psychology today from author Hera Murano. Um, And it's in relation to this case. And she's talking about death by hovering and death by helicopter parenting um, and references this case. And I find that really interesting for the fact that I don't quite understand, I guess maybe just from the little amount we know about Tina, that this falls under or how I guess it falls under um a helicopter parent killing Leah. i think i assume it's 
in the sense that she didn't like the way because she didn't like how the roommate was oh gosh because she didn't like how Liette was talking to her daughter what do you think about that I guess I can kind of see it because only in the sense that Tina was living with the girls which is definitely weird and that could indicate a helicopter parent because maybe she was living with them to ultimately maybe not even telling them but maybe she was ultimately living there to kind of control the things that Tanzania was doing so she stayed there to kind of protect her daughter and then went into protective mode as soon as she felt like her daughter was in harm but I don't think it's the norm the typical definition of helicopter parent I guess but I can kind of see where they would be getting that from yeah I mean in one of the sentences she says in this article is um, like taking a step back and letting your kid deal with their own issues but I just think it's interesting to think about it in that sense because this was clearly a very extreme example of something and Mm -hmm. I don't I I'm not seeing the helicopter parent connection quite as strongly as you would think. I guess what I'm getting at is I just felt like this was a weird case to draw on for as a, for an example of a helicopter parent. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't think of this in a situation where I thought of a helicopter parent. I would think of it in a situation where maybe a slightly psychotic parent, but maybe she somehow justified it into the fact that she was protecting her daughter, but saying something mean about somebody and then deciding you're going to murder them because they said it is not a helicopter parent also we have no idea what she even said yeah i I would be i'm curious to know if she actually did say something which i don't know that you know that uh, it's not reported if so um my interpretation of it is that it could have been i know there's multiple of the articles comments about the roommates being upset that the mom was there so i'm sure there was some tension happening i wouldn't doubt that i mean well unless your Lorelai Gilmore living with Rory in Gilmore Girls. No college students want their parents to be staying with yeah. them and their friends. At least for Liette's case, that since she was an exchange student, she wasn't actually friends with these girls in the sense that she probably didn't know them before she went there. Um, they do like a roommate match thing or a random thing, I know, um, at IPFW, at least when I went there. So... If you move into an apartment with a random person and you're supposed to be living with these people and then their mom is also living there and not one of the roommates, I can see where that would cause some tension for sure. I think it would be I think it's just a weird situation. Yeah. To have your mom live with you and your roommates during college. Unless it was a situation where like it was an emergency and she needed a place to stay. Like that's totally different. I just don't think that that's the the typical go-to thing to do. So Tina Morris pled guilty on August 20th, 2008. She took a plea bargain. So she pled guilty to a single charge of murder and then had additional charges of felony murder and robbery and auto theft dismissed as a part of this plea bargain. And so she was sentenced to 60 years in prison um, at the Rockville Correctional Facility in Rockville, Indiana. Um, she's still there. She has a possible release date of 2036. At the time of the murder, she was 36 years old. So she would be pretty old by the time that she can be released. Just one more thing I'm going to mention. Something I want to note that I found when I was reading the announcement for the funeral of the La- of Liette is that in lieu of flowers, the family did ask for people to donate to a scholarship fund that they had set up. And I thought that was a really great way to honor the memory of Liette. 
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 